1: Did you guys see Chris Jericho challenge Greg Cody to an AEW Le Champion match on Twitter? Wait,
2: what?
3: What are we talking about? He what happened
2: here? Challenged Greg Cody?
1: Yes, I read it. He said, this is BS. And so I took that as he wants to fight Greg Cody, fisticuffs, yeah. you know, Notre Dame style. Mm-hmm.
2: Wait, what, what happened there, Juju? Can you explain to us what this tweet was?
1: So the man, the OG, a.k.a. Scoops, Big Doll, I see you, Big Brother, salute to you. Greg Cody show with Greg Cody on Mondays, salute to the Herald. He was doing Jamal Chase's Gritty. You know what I mean? Quite well, well, might I add. You know what I mean? It started a little ragtime-ish, but then he he got, he he crunk it up like Fred Flintstone. And then out of left field, Chris Jericho said, this is bullshit. Out of context and everything. And I took that as pay-per-view. Call Tony Khan. Michael, I see you. Call your partner Tony Khan. Set it up. Pay-per-view. Go Jags.
3: You totally got confused between celebrity prognosticator and PFPI, yeah? Right.
2: Oh,
1: who's
3: uh-huh.
2: gonna tell him? I don't want to tell him. Who I want to go with Chris Jericho.
1: Right. I want to go with it. I'm like, yeah, that is bullshit, right? I think Billy You should, should tell
2: start him. a feud, Juju.
1: Note it done. Say less.
4: Billy, didn't you tell us earlier in the week that Chris Jericho is the only celebrity prognosticator that lost? I'm looking into this because we've had.
5: I think that every single week except two weeks our celebrities have beat Colin and Jericho's lost two of those times and all of our other celebrity prognosticators have just gotten too busy to come back which is pretty incredible and also seems impossible right that these random just groupings of celebrities have been beating Colin every
1: single week. Expert huh? This guy.
2: Welcome to Mystery Crate. Yeah. Hey!
5: Oh, hey! Hi! What is Mystery Crate this week?
2: That's a good question. Well, Billy. first off,
4: before we get to what Mystery Crate, I should tell you they're presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NFL. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code Dan when you sign up.
5: That's who provides all of the lines for our celebrities. Who keep How about that? Colin. Incredible!
2: Wow! What a tie-in! So, Jericho, Magnus, Stevo. And James O'Hurley, all better celebrity You've seen the biggest boss, too. Colin Coward.
5: Yeah, don't forget Rick
1: Ross.
2: And Rick Ross. Who mm-hmm. ne- who didn't lose also.
1: No, just busy.
2: So what is this week's mystery crate?
1: Ah, we got Amin L lesson and my arch rival Anthony F U Mays reviewing the uh what is it, the Book of Boba Fett? Yeah.
3: It you is know? indeed. Juju, why is Anthony Mays your arch rival? I don't think we've ever gotten to that
1: it's I was a pandemic I was depressed he said watch Cats I got more depressed as a mm-hmm. result oh, so I blame him and I paid 12 bucks for it you know yeah to cats, Salute to Idris Alba. but come on man
5: no but then he was out here snitching during fantasy football season too and he was causing all kinds of problems exactly yeah
1: but 2022 I want to extend the olive branch wow to end days turn wow. over a new leaf let's get this y'all on track my brother Call my phone and let's squash this beef. You did start the year, though, by saying F you. It's still F him until he calls my phone. Okay. well, call him. He's
3: got your number, right?
1: Give it out just in case. All right. What's the uh, studio number? uh, 786-45-POPPY. That's it. There you go, Mace. Call it up.
4: Oh, God. (laughs) One of our listeners is actually going to call that number. And some poor guy in Miami is going to get a shitload of calls. Poppy. <laughs> seven
5: eight six four five six. Poppy really should have been the number.
4: Anyway, here's Darth Amin's rule of two. <laughs> <laughs>
6: Welcome back to Darth Ameen's Rule of Two. I've been waiting for you. This is the podcast where we break down all the stuff from Star Wars that's going on periodically. Of course, right now we are in the middle of Book of Boba Fett, the new Star Wars series. So we're breaking down episodes every week. We're giving you the Easter eggs. We're explaining stuff. And we're also talking other Star Wars things that come across the bow over here. As always, I have my Sith apprentice, Anthony Mays, who's producing this as well. Yes, Master. (laughs) Mays. How'd you think episode one went, by the way, of the podcast?
7: Episode one of the podcast went pretty well Mm -hmm. because it was such a minimal episode. We really talked about a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. But I feel like this episode gives us a little bit more to talk about here, and I'm excited to get into it.
6: I would say it gives us a lot more. I have a lot more notes than I did a week ago, and it's not because, you know, I I didn't try last week because I, oh. I think they just gave us they gave us a lot more. A couple of corrections from last time. One to just point out real quick. First of all, I mistakenly said that the droid in the bounty hunter scene in Empire Strikes Back was IG11. Of course, IG11 was the one in the Mandalorian. It was IG88, IG88, which is
7: not the number of times you log into Instagram a day. No, but a robot. From the original trilogy. No,
6: no, 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 no. You've gone too far. Also, we were talking, we were asking each other, the Max Rebo band, why is it so much smaller? We speculated maybe some of them died on the barge. Jabba's barge when it crashed in Return of the Jedi. Maze had a lot of people come with a correction on this one. Mm. The entire band did survive, but they broke up soon after.
7: Trouble in Paradise for
6: Max Rebo and friends. Is it like Steve Perry leaving Journey? Is it EPMD breaking up and Eric Sermon becoming a solo artist? I don't know. But basically, Max Rebo band, everyone's alive. Nobody worry. Everything's fine. But alas, like most great musical phenomena, they couldn't keep it together. The egos just get in the way, Maze.
7: They can't just patch that up and go back to jizz whaling. They had to go
6: their separate ways. (laughs) I hear half the band kept the wailing part.
7: We just want to do straight jizz. <laughs> Hold me back with this wailing.
6: <laughs> Let's get right into the episode. It opens with We're at Jabba's Palace. The gate comes up, and we get that same shot that we got of R2 and C3PO in Return of the Jedi, where well, you see their relative size this massive, massive gate. As it opens, they walk in. It's backlit. Very cool looking. They bring the guy that tried to kill Boba Fett from episode one. They throw him in front of Boba. Surprise, surprise. He won't talk. As our friend, the Matt Berry voice droid 8D8 tells us he is an assassin of the night wind. And he'll never talk.
7: Reputation is legendary. There's no way he'll talk. They're very expensive. And Fennec
6: says that's overpriced. You're paying for the name. You're paying for the name, like buying a Jaguar or or a, or a Range Rover. Lift. A
7: Patagonia jacket.
6: <laughs> six-toe. I wish we could clip. I wish to God we could clip just a little six-toe speech from Ben Stiller and Heartbreak Kid. Guys from Patagonia, <laughs> it's a big account. If you watch Heartbreak Kid, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, you don't even have to watch it. You can listen to our podcast, Cinephobe. We did an episode on the Heartbreak Kid. Maze, off the top of your head, do you remember what episode that was? Heartbreak
7: Kid was episode 13, over 100 cinephobe years ago. But this is a really cinephobe, synergistic episode, I mean.
6: Mm -hmm. Yes.
7: We've got trains.
6: So I know you're thrilled about that. So happy. I was so happy to see a train. And
7: And twins. twins. And we even have our first crossover repeat offender. I can't wait to share with you later on. Oh man, I don't think I picked up on this one. It's just a blip on the radar screen, but I'll tell you what, it's the movie we just released this week,
6: which is incredible. Wow. Over the top? Yep. I'm sure I'm going to be delighted as will all the other Cidaphobiacs who are listening to this right now. They keep pressing the guy. He won't talk. The Gamorian guard puts a knife, scimitar, whatever that thing is, right to his neck. Guy won't talk.
7: They're just people in hoods. Fennec is shitting all over him. Dripping disdain for the fellow assassins here.
6: By the way, Assassins of the Night Wind, this is a new thing in Star Wars canon, so don't feel left out if you're like, I've never heard of these guys. They made it, they created it for Book of Boba Fett. At one point, the guy does talk. He says, Iktua, which is a callback to what the rude droid on Cloud City said to C-3PO. How rude! How rude, yes. And so we now know that Iktua is basically a cuss word in the Star Wars canon, much like Dank Farrick. It's kind of like, God damn it, or whatever.
7: Is the C-3PO How Rude later a callback when Jar Jar says that? I'm just putting that together now. He goes, How Wooed.
6: Oh. <laughs> I tried to forget Jar Jar. <laughs>
7: yeah, I guess that's more my
6: generation, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Clone Wars, the only episodes I've ever skipped. with Is this a Jar Jar episode? We're skipping. Remember, there was like <laughs> three or four episodes. It's all about Gungans and Naboo. I'm like, I don't care. Not interested. Fennig says, "You won't talk to us. Maybe he'll talk to the Rancor. Hits the hidden switch. Trap door opens. The throne moves up. We're going to watch him get eaten by a Rancor maze. He starts freaking out. He says, it's the mayor. It's the mayor. The mayor sent me. And then he turns around and realizes as the gate opens for the Rancor's cage. surprise. Surprise. There's no rancor. Because Luke Skywalker killed it five years ago. Come on, buddy. Where you been? News travels slow. Also, as I learned from doing some reading and prep work for this episode, apparently this is to emphasize what a screw-up Bib Fortuna is. Kind of a dumbass, right? And he's just lazy. And even though he inherited Jabba's empire, he didn't run it with any sort of efficacy. Also, rancors are tough to come by, Maze. I don't know if you know that. Do you know where they're from? you know where to get them from? I do not know. You got to get them from Dathomir, which is where Darth Maul is from. The Night Sisters. if you watch The Clone Wars. Not a nice place to grow up. It's awful. If you played the Star Wars video game, Fallen Order, there's like a significant part of that game where you're on Dathomir. It is the creepiest planet. It's just like, get me the hell out of here, man. It's a fun game, but damn, like I've never been stressed playing a video game like being on Dathomir. It's terrifying. So that's where Rancor has come from. And of course we have a Rancor in Bad Bats that is procured by the Bad Bats for Jabba. So we don't know if that's the one that eventually grows up to be the one that Luke Skywalker kills. Anyway, now that we know that it's the mayor who sent him, let's go see him. Boba Fennec and the two Gamorrean guards. No litters. We walk on our own two feet around here, Maze. They keep
7: reminding us of that
6: for a reason. There's a shit ton of Trandoshans on the way to the mayor. So many Trandoshans. What the hell is going on in Mos Espa? I'm like, is there a convention? What's happening here? They get there. Little
7: bureaucracy humor because they don't have an
6: appointment. Not on the list. Don't know who you are, Boba Fett, you say? Major Domo comes out, says, no, no, they're fine.
7: Sorry for the lack of pomp. We didn't hear your litter. Yeah. (laughs)
6: Serendipitous visit, but the mayor is indisposed. Bowway ain't having any of it. Walks right past the Major Domo. Major Domo tries to tell him this is a restricted area. And the mayor is an Ithorian. Commonly referred to as hammerheads. Yes, we've seen them before. In the cantina, most likely in A New Hope.
7: But we've never had a speaking character be one, right?
6: I think there was one in Clone Wars. Okay. But this is the first time we've heard them speak in English. You know why he was speaking in English or in Galactic Basic, as they call it? Do you have a translator on his neck? He had a translator on his neck. How about that? That little metal thing that he was wearing, like a backpack that's a translator. And do you know whose voice? was Mayor Mokshay's Galactic Basic.
7: I do. This guy, I don't know if he's trying to just save costs on voice actors or he really just loves to do it, but it's Robert
6: Rodriguez again. He's got a cool voice. I got to give it to him. Very cool, calm voice. It fit. I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. The mayor says, "I, I don't know who you are, and we're doing this whole thing where, like, we don't know who Boba Fett, the baddest bounty hunter in the whole galaxy is. Boba Fett says, it's funny. You don't know who I am yet. You sent this guy to kill me. Throws a guy down there. Mayor basically denies using an assassin of the night wind, says they're not even supposed to be here, and has one of his guards shoot the guy in the face and kill him. Mm. He says, well, thank you for turning in this criminal and pays the bounty, which is low-key real disrespectful. Super disrespectful. Super disrespectful. He still sees Boba as kind of the help as opposed to the local crime lord
7: he's not respecting the promotion that boba's given himself here absolutely not boba takes the payment as tribute that he was supposed to pay earlier the mayor says he has no motive so who really sent the assassin and then offers him a bit of advice running a family is more complicated than bounty hunting just ask tony soprano and sends him back to the sanctuary,
6: Garza Flip's place. Walks in, Garza Whip is sweating like a Goomba on Mustafar. Maze Goomba, another new animal. We don't have any canon on the Goomba, but the assumption is it is an animal like a polar bear or something from a cold weather place. And obviously Mustafar is hot as balls. This is a very Star Wars way of saying you're sweating like a whore in church.
7: This is my favorite. Little thing that they've carried over from Mandalorian, which is just these expressions and idioms that are commonplace in the universe that are new to us. Right. That we can infer what they mean. But like you said, we don't even know what a Agumpta
6: is. Right. Just sounds good. It sounds good. And we know that Mustafar is hot. That's, that's, those are the only two parts that, that we know. Garza Fwip says the huts are coming. The twins. Jabba's twin cousins. The twins are
7: preoccupied with the debauchery of Hutta to bother with any ambitions on Tatooine.
6: So now Hutta is the planet where the Huts come from. It is also an Outer Rim planet. It is a swampy planet. There aren't a lot of ladders or stairs there, obviously. Um, from Clone Wars, we know of a couple of Jabba's relatives, most notably Zero the Hut. Remember we talked about him last week, Maze? Mm-hmm. Are the twins, who have not been mentioned before in canon, are they perhaps Zero's children or another set of cousins or what are they? We don't know. But we do know as Boba and Fennec exit the sanctuary, here comes the drums and everyone turns around. Now that's a litter. That's a litter. That's how you walk in. That's an entrance. That litter is huge and has a lot of people carrying it, including one guy who is a Nyktos, by the way. Did you notice that, the guy in the front?
7: couple Nyktos in this episode, but yes, there was one Nyktos carrying the litter. The twins are cuddled up together like a yin-yang symbol. They've got the tank full of snacks. The
6: female one has a little beauty mark on her chin.
7: Female? <laughs> a female using leverage.
6: Leverage? Shout out to Battlefield Earth, Cinephobe, episode 19. They are basically saying, hey, this is ours, by birthright. And they pull out what I believe is Jabba's will. Is that what that was? It was
7: paperwork. It was the deed to Jabba's palace.
6: (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) But Boba doesn't give a shit. Bit Fortuna took it over, and I killed him. Hence, it's all mine. So, kick rocks. The female twin says, well, how do we, why don't we just kill him? And out from behind them steps out the most badass gangster wookie I've ever seen. I won't lie. I had to do research to figure out who the hell this dude was. His name is Black Kresantan. He's a bounty hunter. And he's a badass. He looks
7: incredible. <laughs> this got me so fired up.
6: He makes Chewbacca look like just an adorable little Pomeranian. He's terrifying. Like he walked out and I was like, oh shit.
7: His gun is eight feet tall. Yeah. He's got
6: the armor on. He's brolic. He's really built. Like Chewbacca's rather slim when you think about it. Right. This dude is up here. And so his backstory was he was captured on Kashyyyk and he volunteered to be a gladiator because he thought it would make him a greater fighter. And eventually He escaped and became a bounty hunter and was used by Jabba quite often. And so it makes sense that he now is in the employ of Jabba's cousins.
7: Along his journey, Black Kershantan has crossed paths with Obi-Wan Kenobi, Han Solo, and yes, even Boba Fett, which is why Boba recognizes him and calls him a gladiator.
6: Or dismisses him as gladiator. Boba says, look, your sister's right. You want this? You got to kill me.
7: These are not the death pits of Dur, and I am not a sleeping Trandoshan guard. Go back to Nalhata.
6: The male one says, bloodshed is bad for business. We'll, we'll continue this conversation later. Fennec says, we can't kill them without permission. What does this mean? I mean, permission from who? Well, I know what most people might be thinking. Oh, is it like killing a made man in the mafia or whatever? No, that's not what this is referring to. The new republic. Have a treaty with the HUT, and you're not allowed to attack or kill them mm. without doing a shit ton of paperwork. We know that Boba hates paperwork. Boba hates the paperwork, man. And the reason for this, you say, wait, wait a second, like, why why would the new republic supposed to be good and freedom and democracy and all this shit? Why would they make a deal with the HUT? Well, here's the problem. When you are trying to organize a rebellion to overthrow a massive, expansive empire, you can't just walk into your local weapons depot and buy some weapons. Mm. You got to buy them on the black market. And who runs weapons running on a black market? Organized crime. And in the case of the New Republic or the rebellion at the time, the Rebel Alliance, in the Outer Rim, the people that they went to to get stuff from was the Huts. And the Huts were playing both sides. They were neither with the Republic or with the Alliance. They just wanted to make sure that whoever won wouldn't look at them as aligned with the other side. And so, due to their business relationship with the Rebel Alliance, when the New Republic is founded, they signed a treaty with the Huts that basically allows the Hut to do their shit in the Outer Rim without a lot of encroachment from the authorities. All money smells good, I mean. It sure does, as... Was emphasized to us in Last Jedi by Benicio del Toro's character. Remember when they go to Canto Bite? Oh, yes. In the casino. The controversial Canto Bite.
7: So then Boba goes back to his Back to Dreams. Ah, uh, here we they go. They introduce hey. these guys. That's it. What a tease, I mean. This was so exciting.
6: I think this is how this is going to go for the whole season, right? He's just going to, every time he gets in his Back to Tank, we're going to get a flashback.
7: And that's the most frustrating thing for me because. The present day timeline is crawling. This hasn't even been a full episode's worth of stuff yet. Right. Then we go to the flashback for the rest of the episode. But before we get to that,
3: The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action of DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA with same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you gotta check this out. New customers bet just five bucks to get $150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code Dan, that's code Dan D A N for new customers to get 150 bonus bets when you bet just five bucks only on DraftKings the Crown. Yours.
0: Gambling problem, call one eight hundred Gambler, or in West Virginia, visit www1800 gamblernet In New York, call 877 8 Hope NY or text Hope NY 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888 789 7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boothill Casino Resort in Kansas. 21 Plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus best expire 168 hours after issuance. See DKNG.co slash B ball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
7: The Tribes of Tatooine, Chapter 2, written by John Favreau, along with staff writer Noah Clore, who was an assistant on The Mandalorian. It's directed by Steph Green, who directed episodes of Watchmen, Man in the High Castle, The Deuce, You're the Worst, Preacher, Billions, etc. She's a TV director for hire. <laughs> <laughs>
6: that, that's what you surmised by the resume.
7: That's the thing. You come in, you do one episode on a big show and you move on to the next. It's a pretty good life. I think
6: I've read about this. And the reason why is because it takes so much work to set up one episode that in order to have multiple episodes in production, they have to be going at the same time. So you got to have different directors. And so that's why you see a different director for every one of these episodes. And most of these people are people that have a pre existing relationship with with John Favreau.
7: Before we get into the next section, which I like to call dances with Tuscans
6: Okay, so I called it Boba of Arabia. <laughs>
7: <laughs> there is a
6: lot, a lot of Dune in this episode. I never watched Dune. I didn't even watch the new one. I tried the first 15 minutes and it was I was so bored that I stopped.
7: I had never taken the plunge but with the new movie i did the whole thing i watched the new movie the old movie i did a lot of research and it's important to remind people that dune was published 12 years before star wars was released right and although george lucas has never talked about his direct influences from dune like he has with flash gordon there is very explicit references in this episode which always connected to dune right and we will definitely get into those. Boba of Arabia dances with Tuskins. Let's get into the flashback sequence mean.
6: Now he's training with the Tuskins. They're teaching him how to use the gaffy stick.
7: The only Tuskins listed in the cast are the chieftain, the kid, and the warrior. And like you guessed last week, the warrior is played by a woman, Joanna Bennett who is a stunt woman from Captain Marvel
6: and Wonder Woman. There you go. I could just tell by like, I don't know, her body movement. That's a duck. That's a duck, man. That's a duck, man. Got some questions last time, like what are Tuscans underneath the masks? We don't know. They've never been shown in canon without a mask on. We assume they're humanoid, much like the Mandalorians sometimes will adopt someone who's not Mandalorian, like Din Djarin. The Tuscans similarly will sometimes adopt people who are not native Tuscans into their trot and dress them in their garb. But there have been a couple of pictures and legends what they look like. They're all very different, so I would say not worth your time to look up because it won't give you any answers. We learn also that these gaffy sticks, not just weapons, they also use them to clean the teeth of their banta. Did you know that, Maze? Dual purpose. There's a very special relationship between a Tuscan and his or hers gaffy stick. We'll get into that a little bit later. Mm-hmm. While they're training a wart or a frog dog jumps out of sand runs away they shoot it everyone cheers the frog dog was first seen outside of Jabba's palace in return of the jedi I believe in the special edition ones right where it eats something
7: the added cgi effects <laughs> yeah <laughs> gotta get that frog dog in there
6: as they're training and just kind of chilling and cheering about shooting this thing We hear rumbling in the distance.
7: And no joke, I mean, my first thought was sandworms?
6: Dune? I thought crate dragon, which I guess is the same thing, right?
7: But we've done the crate dragon. We did it in Mando season two. They can't just keep going to the crate dragon device. It's got to be something else. And guess what? It's a train.
6: It's a train. And I felt so nostalgic for the pre-pandemic cinephobe when we talked longingly about riding a train, riding the rails, Maze, from LA to New Orleans. You miss train travel, I mean. I do. If you don't listen to cinephobe, I wax poetic on an era where you rode in a train. And I'm not talking about like those cheap Amtrak seats that are just like a Greyhound bus. I'm talking about sleeper car I'm talking about you go to the cafe car and there's linen there's a waiter and you sit down you have some champagne or as Gal Gadot calls it champagne champagne saw the trailer for that new Agatha Christie movie and she's in it and she says champagne and I said <laughs> boop <laughs> but yeah man train travel is so fun so this train comes and they just start lighting up lighting up these tuscans they get Wrecked. Oh, man. And at first I thought, are these the Niktos gang? But then I was like, why would they be on a train? How could they get a train? They're a biker gang. We don't really find out who's on the train. We just know there are a lot of Tuskens who die. Later on, there's a funeral pyre. All of this is made to humanize the Tuskens once again, because throughout Star Wars, originally we all kind of just thought of them as these annoying kind of savages that live out in the wilderness. And they're just people are minding their own business, and people shooting them, and they grieve just like the rest of us, et cetera, et cetera. Boba says, I can stop the train.
7: After he sees those speed bikes go by at night, and they call the train a long speeder, which I liked. Yeah, that was very cool. But he's already picked up the hand signals pretty quick, at least enough to communicate rudimentarily.
6: We don't know how quick pretty quick is because... We don't know how much time has passed since That's true. he was basically their captive to now.
7: It's roughly a 5 year gap between Sarlacc pit and present day. So, yes. This could have been a whole year.
6: Exactly. And his scars have healed somewhat. He's still kind of looking real messed up, but the
7: Tatooine desert Humidity has not done any favors to his skincare routine.
6: It needs some lotion.
7: Maybe a mud bath. It's rough. Literally. It's
6: literally rough. Course. Like sand. It gets everywhere. <laughs> it's it <gets> everywhere. <laughs> so Boba goes, and this is probably was my favorite part of this episode. Yes. This is a big part. Follows these bikers. The bikers walk into the infamous Tashi Station. That's right. If you remember, in A New Hope, Uncle Owen telling Luke he can't go, and Luke says, "But I was gonna go to Tashi Station and get some power converters." Yeah. That's Tashi Station. You say, "I mean, how do you know that's Tashi Station?" They never said it. There's no signage. How do you know? Because in the deleted scenes of A New Hope. He actually does go to Tashi Station. Yeah. He goes, I believe he's getting the power converter, looks up in the sky, sees something, pulls out his binoculars, makes out that there is a Star Destroyer up there that is in combat, in battle. Runs into the bar at Tashi Station and runs into his friend Biggs. If you remember... Blasted Biggs, where are you?
7: Biggs Darklighter.
6: Who's this guy, His name in Biggs and we see a guy with a mustache and then he dies? Why do they just assume we know him? The reason why was because there's a whole deleted scene where he runs into Biggs at this bar. Biggs is his buddy they grew up with who went on to go to Imperial Flight Academy, I believe, to go be a pilot for the Empire, which is what all these kind of country boys wanted to do simply to just get off of Tatooine out of the outer rim and kind of like see the galaxy. Kind of like people who join the military now, the airports or the Navy or whatever. And there's a couple there, a dude and his girlfriend. These people are Luke's friends. The woman's name is Cammie. The dude's name is Fixer. They tell him, there ain't no battle. It's just parked up there. Biggs goes on to confess to Luke that, hey, I'm gonna try and jump ship and join the Rebel Alliance. This after he told him in front of Kami and Fixer, oh, the rebels are nowhere near here. The Empire doesn't give a shit about the Outer Rim. The usual shit that people talk about when they live in a piece of shit part of the country, right? Like, ah, nobody cares about us. None, none of that shit happens here. So later on, obviously, in another deleted scene in New Hope, he sees Biggs on Yavin 4 it's like oh shit you made it and he hugs him and all that stuff and then Biggs dies not too long thereafter but Tashi Station where the biker gang the Nikto's gang they're there they're stealing shit and who do they steal shit from but Cami and Fixer how do we know it's Cammy and Fixer Maze other than the Extreme resemblance.
7: They just
6: only have one place to hang out, clearly. They never left. There's that. And more importantly, if you have your subtitles on, when Fixer stands up to the bikers and they start messing with him, Cammy yells out, no, please. And the subtitles identify her as Cammy. How about that? Mm. He didn't check himself. So, Maze, what's he going to do? Wreck myself. And then the door opens, and we see the silhouette Mm. of Boba Fett. Now, Maze, every kind of resource I looked at says, this is reminiscent to Mandalorian Season 1, Episode 1. Sure. I took a different reference. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm. Indiana Jones shows up to Marion's Bar in Nepal. Yeah. And they're about to mess her up, and right as they're about to put the hot poker in her face or whatever, the door opens and we see Indy's silhouette. I felt that was a direct reference to that right there.
7: It's just a classic cinematic look, silhouetted by the door. But before you move on, I mean, mm-hmm. the bartender, the uncredited bartender is Alan Graff, the man at the gate of Robert Loggia's house and over the top, oh, no. the man who denies access. To slice the loan before he drives through it, it's Alan Graff. He's a repeat offender, right? He was in Roadhouse. He's a multiple repeat offender. He's a legendary stuntman. Yeah. Oh, wow. How about that? And he looks like Andy Reid. <laughs> it's like <laughs> <coaching>. <laughs>
6: He looks like Andy Reid after maybe a little bit of a diet. Just go vegan, Andy. Surprise, surprise, Bubba. Messes everybody up with his gaffy stick, and then he steals the biker gang's bikes, their speeders, ties them all together with some string. Comes back triumphantly in the morning. The Tuskins at first they're going to shoot him, then they look their binoculars at him, and he says, "I have a gift for you to the chieftain." And he turns his back for one second, and they're already stripping the bikes for parts Jawa style. They are <laughs> going to town. He's like, "No, no, no! We're going to use these. No, it's a bike. <laughs> it's transportation." It's Dr. Scrap Metal. He says, I'm going to train you because this is how we're going to take down the train.
7: So we get a little driving montage. We're learning to ride the bikes and we're jumping from bike to bike. And then he shows the kid how to use a reflector at one point.
6: Which they already know how to use because they used it in A New Hope. But I guess the kid doesn't know how. So
7: Then there's some more gaffy training with the warrior. is getting better. We think he disarms her, but she rolls and catches it out of midair like a real badass.
6: And then trips him. She still got the upper hand. I always remember, Maze, even Rocky had a montage. It's true. In fact, in Rocky IV, spoiler alert, you had <laughs> a third <laughs> of the movie was montage. And you'll learn more about Rocky IV next week on Cinephobe. Oh, boy. So, they're finally ready to take down this train, and this is very reminiscent of Lawrence of Arabia.
7: It's also... Pretty similar to the train heist in Solo.
6: Yes. The other thing about Lawrence of Arabia that before I I even thought about that reference is when the train comes the first time, the Tuscans grab their rifles. Their rifles are very long, much like the rifles that the Arabian Bedouin used to use, and some of them still do use on the Arabian Peninsula. So they go ahead, they take down the train. By the way, Maze, this isn't... Poba's first time on a train robbery. Oh. There is an episode in Clone Wars where they have a train heist. Heist month is back on Cinephobe with him, Asajj Ventress, and Bosque.
7: A lot of trains in the Star Wars universe. A lot more than I would have expected. If things
6: fly. Why do we need trains?
7: It's just a long speeder.
6: Moral of the story. You always need trains. That's why we're gonna do the great train ride for Cinephobe one day.
7: There's a couple of great moments in this. Boba's speeder about to explode. He catches the Tusken that got knocked off, and they both jump on right when it explodes. I just call this action.
6: Action. We get action on the train. We get the the typical top-of-the-train fight. The warrior
7: really does the lion's share of the work here. (laughs) Yeah. She crashes into the train. She takes out everybody on the inside that's pinning them down. There's a spider-like droid driving this thing, the controls look pretty wild and then he bails out and just scurries off and boba has to try to stop it which he does train crashes and the dumbest part to me was as soon as they crash the tuscans are right there to run up and celebrate even though they've been traveling at high speed for a good couple minutes here
6: Bantas don't move that fast anyways they're raiding the train now they're getting all the spoils and stuff you've got the prisoners and what are they maze the pike syndicate the Pike Syndicate. You remember and love them from Solo when they go to Kessel. You know them from Clone Wars, from Star Wars Rebels. The Pikes are one of the biggest gangs or organized crime, I should say, organizations in all of Star Wars. One
7: of the five syndicates, I mean, alongside the Huts, Crimson Dawn, Black Sun, and the Cremoras.
6: They are the ones who control. The spice trade, spice, you say? I mean, spice is the number one drug in Star Wars. Spice. Anytime you hear spice, basically they're cocaine. Sansana
7: spice from the slave mines of Kessel, and the Pike plays dumb.
6: What does it look like? Yeah, spice. What spice is like?
7: Right when they open a chest
6: and it blows in the wind, like that. And then he admits that he's playing dumb. They don't mean any harm.
7: Well, they did mean harm. They just thought that they were worthless people.
6: Uncivilized sand people is what he calls them.
7: Then, Boba says, these people lay ancestral claim to the Dune Sea. So, all right, we've got spice. We literally say dune. Yeah. Boba's journey here with the Tuscans, while similar to Lawrence of Arabia and Dances with Wolves, is also pretty similar to Paul's experience with the Fremen, learning their ways, adopting their culture. Even later on, he's going to get his own outfit, kind of like a still suit. Same stories repackaged time after time, but it's great.
6: Hero with a thousand faces, folks. Boba sets up a protection deal for them. He says, are you going to kill us? He says, no, I want you to go back to your overlords and basically tell them, you come through this land, you got to pay a toll, you got to pay tribute.
1: Their
7: lives are a gesture of civility.
6: And you guys get to walk back. It's like, oh, we're going to die. He's like, no, Anchorhead is just about a day's march up there. Go single file. Tuscan style. Which is also another indicator, yes, that Boba is now recognizing the customs and the ways of the Tuscans. Guy says, we're going to die of thirst. We need our water tank. He hands them the black melon. The black melon. The hubbogord. What we saw in episode one. And then the
7: Tuscans knock loose the water car like it's a fire hydrant in the city on a hot day. They dance in it. They've never had this much water in their life.
6: Cut to a bonfire, was sitting around, and the chieftain is telling Boba the Tuscan history and the history of really Tatooine, and that Tatooine wasn't always a desert planet. It was once filled with water. The Dune Sea was actually an actual sea. It wasn't just sand.
7: They've stayed hidden since the ocean's dried, and Boba says they shouldn't have to hide their warriors, but the off-worlders have machines, and this is even more similarities to Dune. I wonder, is Boba going to unite the Tuscans and take control of Tatooine as their prophesied messiah?
6: Because we figure out that there are also a lot of different tribes of Tuscans and not all of them do things the same way. The chieftain says, I have a gift for you, Boba. And Boba <laughs> says, oh, real? It will guide you. <laughs> yeah. And so he opens <laughs> up this thing. It's a lizard. (laughs) Oh, thanks. I'll, you know, cherish this. And then he hits him in the face with some spice. He blows spice in his face, and the lizard jumps up his nose, and Boba has the craziest peyote trip ever.
7: Psychedelic vision quest
6: to guide you from inside your head. He's walking. He's remembering his dad. He's picking up his dad's helmet. By the way, someone says, the helmet does not have the severed head in it. If you watch and slow it down, Attack of the Clones, the head falls out. (laughs) which is so creepy, but he sees his own reflection in his father's helmet. Then he remembers the last day he saw his father alive, which is when he left Camino heading to Geonosis.
7: I did love how we see the Jawa's eyes and the tree, the magic tree, and the eyes look a lot like the taillights of Slave One. That was a nice little connection there.
6: Remembers being in the Sarlacc pit and yada, yada, yada. Snaps a branch as a wave crashes. Next thing we know, he's walking back. He's got this huge branch in his hand. The lizard is removed from inside him. The lizard goes right back to its basket. And I have a lot of questions about these psychedelic lizards. COVID COVID (laughs) protocols, number one. Are we disinfecting this lizard? Does he live in the basket? Does he like the basket? What's he doing to the brain? Doesn't it seem
7: like taking a bunch of spice to the dome ought to do the job? What does the lizard
6: bring to the equation? Apparently not enough. Maybe the spice is for the lizard. It's a little bit of food. Yeah. Lizard goes in there and gets high on the spice.
7: They finally get him out of those Prospector Long Johns. Who knows how long he's been in those. They drape him up in the black fabric. It's quite ceremonial. He looks great. Then they go and visit the blacksmith who is in a little chunk of wreckage that is straight out of some Ralph McQuarrie concept art from back in the day. And it's time to make your own gaffy stick, like it's a -a Build-A-Bear.
6: More importantly, Maze, it's kind of like what the Jedi had to go through to make their own lightsaber. So the Jedi, before obviously Order 66, they would have to go to the planet of Elum, where you would have to go find your kyber crystal. The thing that makes a lightsaber ignite and shoot out that laser is kyber crystal. It's the same thing that the Death Star Super Laser is made out of. It's made out of a huge kyber crystal. It's the reason why in Rogue One, they're on Jedha because they're mining kyber crystals basically. And there's a lot of kyber crystal canon stuff about the Empire basically collecting all of this stuff. But the kyber crystal itself is found mostly on the planet Elum. They used to take the Jedi Padawans when they are reach of age to Ilum and then you have to go on a vision quest. You got to go find your kyber crystal. It's not just finding a kyber crystal, it's a crystal that will speak to you specifically. And when you do, you take it, you go back and you go to the droid professor instructor who helps you make your own lightsaber. That's why every Jedi lightsaber looks different. Everyone's lightsaber looks different because it is literally their lightsaber with their kyber crystal. They have a strong connection to so, turns out the Tuscans have the same sort of thing. You go on your vision quest, you bring back your branch, and then you make your gaffy stick, and that's what Boba does, and it's a fairly involved process. At the end, we have another bonfire, and there's a dance, and it reminded me of the Haka dance, Maze. hmm And now you are a man. You have been bar mitzvahed Boba Fett into the Tuscan ways. Pretty cool. End episode.
7: I enjoyed this. I enjoyed... Him endearing himself to them with the whole train situation and then becoming fully indoctrinated in their customs, the drugs, the clothes, the weapons. And now he looks just like we saw him in The Mandalorian. And I guess we will... Are we done with the flashbacks? Pick up from that and see a Boba perspective on what happened last year, perhaps? Maybe
6: even see The Mandalorian? Then Jaren. Is it going to be like Back to the Future 2 where like Marty is watching himself, is watching Back to the Future 1, basically?
7: Yeah, we're going to get that sweet alternate camera angle. Doc. Of him playing Johnny Be Good.
6: <laughs> I'm over here, and Biff's guys are about to jump. Me. get out of there. Not me, the other me. Maze. A couple of notes. I thought they did a much better job with the fight choreography in this one, Mm -hmm. including just zooming in. We don't actually have to see him hit guys. I can see his crazy face and that's enough. I thought the CGI on some things was really good, like on the huts. Yeah, they look great. They did an incredible job. Flip side, the train looked very CGI. Very episode one CGI. The
7: thing about
6: the volume
7: is that now that we know how it works, there's this very short depth of field, essentially, where things are actually happening. Like the training on the speed bikes is a good example, right? Cause they had so many people falling, right? We're not going to get any wide shots of that. We're going to get the mid shot and there's a 10 foot essentially bubble where the action is happening and then everything else is CGI around it. Once you can pick up on the depth of field of that, it's kind of distracting, but I'm not as bothered as you are by the questionable CGI of the train. It's not mind blowing. Like, Perhaps seeing the Mandalorian for the first time
6: was—it's not bad. It just looked very CGI in a way that a lot of other things did not. And the Mandalorian, and even like I said, like the huts looked very good. Like that was very well done. Maybe this is the impact of COVID. But there's some things where it's like, oh, get, to, get to it, just like just, just give me something that works rather than take your time on this one because it shows. It shows like the huts. That's why. We're talking about will the Huts be the recurring villain, the main antagonist in this show? Given the amount of time and care they put into doing them, they're going to factor in. I just know because they spent way more time making that look good than some of the other stuff. The other thing about the Hut that tells me they're probably going to be the main antagonist or they're going to factor in greatly is that they weren't in any of the promotional material. Right. And they always hide, just like when The Mandalorian came out, they had, there was no mention of Baby, Baby Yoda. Yoda. Same thing here. There's no mention of the twin huts, And so the fact that they introduced them, I believe this is going to be big.
7: Question about the huts? Mm -hmm. More than twins? We getting some Game of Thrones action off of this? Are you getting some tension? Are you picking up on some tension? They are cuddled up and it's not (laughs) easy for them to move around. So it seems like they might just stay that way. (laughs) Constantly. You feel it? I mean, we know that Jabba had a thing for humans. Well, not even just humans. A menagerie. He liked Princess Leia and then the Twi'lek before Princess Leia. He always liked to have a, a little sex
6: slave, but do-hut-bang. I don't know if it's a sex slave so much as like- Entertainment? Yeah. I like strippers. Mm. It's not about the sex for him. It's the power, right? Like I have a chain around your neck; like you're my pet. I make you, you get up, you dance, you do it. If I don't like it, mm-hmm. I throw you to the rancor. I've always felt like it was more of a power dynamic. Like the Jabba bang- Princess Leia, I guess this is one of the age old questions of Return of the Jedi. I want to believe no. <laughs> one
7: of the age old questions, yes. As soon as I saw Return of the Jedi for the first time, I thought to myself,
6: for 40 years, of Leia. <laughs> Did they? <laughs> it's kind of like Paulie with the robot in Rocky IV. <laughs> Pitch a callback, by the way. <laughs>
7: There's some tension going on between the, the Hutt twins, for sure.
6: We'll have to keep an eye out for that. I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Overall, Maze, this episode, File or Phobe? Should we give it a grade?
7: Grading it? Grading it's hard. Because this is like a six or seven out of ten for me if it's a grade. It's a step up from the first episode, that's for sure. Okay. I'm excited by the Huts. I'm excited by Black Chris I like where the present day timeline is going, but my biggest issue with this show is the way they're presenting it. And it just seems like they should have done one or two flashback episodes. Right. Not necessarily right away, but this pace, like I said earlier. There hasn't even been a full episode worth of action in the present day. Right. There's been a lot more in the Tuscan timeline, which I'm enjoying. I'm enjoying Dances with Tuscans. I thought this episode was a lot better in that respect.
6: I like that it didn't jump back and forth. Yes. Half of it was right now, and then the rest was a flashback. I like this more. I'll give it a seven and a half, maybe even an eight, because I really enjoyed the Tashi Station thing, the introduction of Black Chrysanthemum. The huts, finding out, okay, we got huts in this thing. I thought there was enough stuff to keep me intrigued. And even like the Pikes in the kit, trying to figure out like how they're going to factor in, because I feel like they can't just be telling us this stuff because this is why there's a kinder, gentler Boba Fett. Like, at some point, some, if not all of this stuff, is going to come back into the present day, right? It's going to need the Tuscans' help.
7: Absolutely. I think what's happening and the comparisons to Dune really underline this. He's going to unite the Tuscans together and bring them in as his army or as his support against the Huts, against the mayor, against the Pikes. He's got plenty of enemies now. And that is where his arc is going to set up for this show, whether it's one season or multiple.
6: Any other final notes on this? I got a couple of Star Wars related stuff that has nothing to do with this show. Anything else on Book of Boba?
7: Just really enjoying Fennec. Yeah. Ming-Na Wen, her saltiness is bringing some necessary comedy to this show. She's great.
6: Super salty. By the way, another note that someone sent me the other day. Do you know how old she is, Ming-Na Wen?
7: Both Ming-Na Wen and Tamara Morrison are 50 plus.
6: She's 58 years old.
7: And they're bringing it. They're action stars. (laughs) Yes. This is the
6: Liam Neeson school of just getting more (laughs) badass as you get older. Morrison is like Liam Neeson she's like Angela Bassett Mm -hmm. where it's like you're how old it's incredible shout out to her and like you said I'm with you I love that she's a complete asshole as a character it really adds some levity to the proceedings final Star Wars notes guys saw this the other day I was watching as I do little Star Wars videos and stuff in Return of the Jedi when Luke and Vader are fighting in the throne room and Luke backflips and lands at the top of the little platform thing. Vader says, Obi-Wan has taught you well. The reason he said that is because Luke got the high ground. I never picked up on that. I thought it was just like, oh, you're fighting really well. Obi-Wan has taught you well. But he's specifically talking about, oh, you got the high ground. Mm. Uh, it's like, okay. <laughs> Something that I guess he hadn't taught Anakin well at the time. The other note, Admiral Akbar, when he was originally designed Many of the people working on the film did not like Admiral Ackbar's design. Thought he was too ugly, too grotesque. And the director, Richard Marquand, he said, no, keep it like that because I want kids to know that good people aren't always good looking. Mm. A deliberate decision to make one of the most honorable characters and respected characters be somebody who is hideous and not magical like Yoda.
7: I'm just picturing a hot Admiral Akbar now with, with abs. shredded abs and yeah. <laughs> just a hot
6: squid. Pecs. Taking a picture like Izzy on the train tracks, <laughs> but just like with his head, same head, Mon Calamari head. It's interesting because I think Yoda, while not a looker, still has an element of cuteness to him. The way he talks and like the giggles and the fact that he's small, that- For a child is very reminiscent of a Muppet. Whereas Admiral Akbar looks like a lobster. He just looks terrifying. That's the difference. Like there's nothing cute or cuddly about Admiral Akbar. And his voice doesn't do him any favors. He talks like this. It's a trap. You know, so I think those are the, the things that Richard Marcon is talking about. There's nothing redeeming from a surface level of Admiral Akbar, but again, he is very well respected and. He's a good person, so shout out to that decision there and Star Wars teaching the babies. Can't judge a book by its cover. Maze, we did it. We made it through a second episode. You're not dead. I'm not dead. Mm. So the rule of two continues. What I want is I want people to continue to do what they did. Send me corrections. Send me things we might have missed. Easter eggs we might have missed. References, other Star Wars canon stuff. Also, I want to start trying to think about a guest list. There are a lot of people out there who love Star Wars. You
7: want to make an appointment, is what you're saying, to see the mayor.
6: Yeah, exactly. I want to see my guy, Mach. Mok is. If you have any suggestions of people who are Star Wars fans, preferably people who are famous for other things. Don't send me Dave Filoni, right? Like, okay, I get it. First of all, I can't get Dave Filoni on this thing. Second of all, I don't want to board Dave Filoni. Like, Star Wars is his job. I want to get the people who maybe talk football for a living or music artists or whatever. Let's get those types of people in here. Give them an opportunity to talk about something that's not their profession that makes them well-known. Rather, talk about the goodness and the greatness of Star Wars and specifically a Book of Boba Fett. As always, thank you for listening. If you're not subscribed to Cinephobe, you know, go ahead and head over there. We have fun. It's Sylvester Stallone month right now, Maze. This week we dropped over the top which is the arm wrestling family drama.
7: Arm wrestling Rocky. Let's be real
6: about it. Or is it arm wrestling Kumite? I don't know. Either way, check out Cinephobe. It's available wherever you get podcasts. For Anthony Mays, I'm Amino Hassan, And remember, sometimes it's just overpriced because you're being the name.
3: the last time Me? anybody in here ate pudding?
2: Last Christmas. I, I
4: think I've maybe had pudding once in my life. Really? really? And I, I, I think I tried pudding fairly late in the day. I don't even remember the experience, but- Well, you I, had a Snickers like two minutes ago. So. But that's
2: yeah. like a British thing, Woody. I'm surprised. Yeah. Like pudding. British people call pudding. like all desserts puddings. Yeah. And then they have like special like dessert puddings that are like mm-hmm. more than just what we consider a pudding. They also like
4: have a different des- definition of puddings. the word biscuit. For us, yeah. a biscuit is the piece of bread. Biscuit is, I, I, it's like any kind of cookie is a biscuit.
2: Well, a biscuit is like a chip there, too, but a chip there is uh, fries. So, and then you get in the A chip bowl. is a crisp. Right, because fries are chips. I don't chips. like
3: this, Billy. Mm-mm. It's a fry, it's a chip. Yeah. Biscuit is what you get at Popeyes. lobster. Red lobster. I heard
4: a I heard a British expression so the other day bad. that I can't wait to drop and really annoy you guys. No, I'm like, save I'm it, save it, save it. Looking forward to it so oh, much. Save it.
3: Yeah. God. Really?
4: Yeah. I think uh, you guys are going to want to punch me in the larynx. What would need to happen to set it off? Uh, yeah. I would need to read something that somebody said.
3: Mm. So, a quote. Like hmm. A quote.
2: Urban yeah. dictionary definition?
3: Yeah, would that work? No, no. Well, somebody said it. Remember they, they always oh, yes. give you like the actual the monologue of people talking oh, back and I forth using context. Oh, I have one. I have one.
2: Woody, read what Brian Kelly said during the Texas Bowl that everyone was making fun of.
4: Oh yeah. All right, I'm on it. Boston people don't have an accent. Have
2: Which an accent. I honestly like. We all agree that was sarcasm, right? He's just oh, bad at sarcasm. No, I
4: don't think Brian Kelly does sarcasm. He didn't even
3: laugh. No, he
2: does. He, he doesn't even do laugh. Trust though. me.
4: I I mean laughter. He's bad I, at it. I just it. don't have him doing laughter.
3: Oh. Hmm. My family
2: family. He also said family like three times, I think. And he said it normally? That. Yeah. So He kept saying family. I'm not kidding.
4: This that he said is an inverted commas. Whether it was dancing or I couldn't get my accent down, the word family. Listen, I'm from Boston. We don't have strong accents. Closed inverted commas.
3: Yeah, he's saying it with like the, the bunny ears being inverted in commas. Yeah.
4: But now is when you say the thing that you were going
5: to no, say. No, yeah, well, no,
3: Inver- he said it. That's the thing. He said it inverted commas.
2: Oh my inverted God, commas. that was it? Yeah,
4: yeah that was it. I mean, inverted commas God, is annoying, what? right? I mean, it is, Damn but tropes.
3: it's more annoying you saying that we would have picked it up than it actually was. If
4: I had said inverted commas without bringing your attention to it, no, you would have been like, thought oh, twice. oh really? I turned around and looked at you. Yeah, no, Roy Roy was annoyed. Roy yeah. was annoyed. Yeah. yeah. I was yeah. going
5: to ask why you were doing that, but I didn't think that that was... That's, so that's a
4: British thing, according to yeah. you? Yeah, so they don't call them quotes. They call them inverted commas. Mm. So
3: can you say it in, like, a British accent? Maybe it would annoy me more.
4: Hmm. Mm. All right, hold on. I'm, I'm I'm coming up with the context
3: oh how about this how about this you say it in a british accent but then say the brian kelly part in a southern accent
4: <laughs> oh yeah true yeah, 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 we're going yeah. too
5: far here if you could pick any place to be from would it be england
4: um i quite like being from miami i don't think i don't think i, I, don't think atta I would boy. change atta yeah. boy i don't think i would change i
5: was atta born born, born in but hi- he's
2: broward tony no i was
5: born yeah, in highly i was
4: born in highly
5: i'm not having that that's an upset of the century.
3: That is an upset of the century. <laughs> H-Town, stand up.
4: La ciudad que progresa.
3: That's right. I was
1: just going to say that. I was just going to say
3: that. y Factoría.
5: Oh, my God.
4: For, for the you old school.
5: You need to take Jess on a tour of the ridiculous water fountain that's there.
4: oh I, I thought you were going to say take her on the tour Ooh, of the of yeah, the yeah. slew of hotels that are on, uh, what is it, Okeechobee? Okeechobee oh, my yeah. God. Seedy- well, we can go closer that is than the, the that. seediest place in Miami Show right no, we should
3: not. I
2: recently saw the giant Pegasus statue in Hallandale Beach, which was mm. on the t- my my list of things I wanted to talk about on the show for months, but oh, we never got Why did you go Made it at the
5: Broward,
3: huh? Yeah, why did you go there? What's uh, what?
2: I don't I think do I was you, meeting. A, it was when mean? Mike Golick was in town and he was I staying feel, in I feel Fort Lauderdale.
3: I feel witty's heat like right here. Why
2: are you saying
4: such mean things no, about my community?
3: No, I'm just asking why would you go to see a statue? Like what, no, what well, I say. just
2: happened to drive by it. Well, so I was driving down a street and I Looked up and like there's this huge thing in the sky, it's and it's like a, a horse's head. Yeah, uh-huh. I was never like, what this. is this? Oh yeah, I've never seen. We this. kept That's driving, really? we kept driving. Yeah. I was with my boyfriend. I'm like, I'm like, do you see this? Like, what is this giant? Is this supposed to be like a Trojan horse? And we got closer, and we realized it was Pegasus. So then I googled it. It has its own Wikipedia page. It's this huge Pegasus statue. Apparently, it's like one of the top three. Largest statues in the country, or something like that. And it's what? just at this mall in Hallandale Beach. Gulf and you can stream. see no, it's, it. No,
4: it's not a mall. It's a horse racing track that also oh, has. Oh, the one at Golf. Next stream. to yeah. A mall. Oh. Yeah. oh,
5: yeah. I've seen it. There's that. a dragon, too,
4: huh? Yeah, no, these, these oh,
7: stomping, stomping the on the dragons.
4: statues are enormous. It says Pegasus and Dragon. Yeah, the Pegasus is stomping did on we discover the dragon. Just like it's like one of the seven, like the seven tallest structures in, in, yeah, in, in Florida. Yeah, I think that, it might
2: be like one of the tallest non like non building structures in Florida, and yeah. one of the largest statues in the country, or something ridiculous. And it's not like that big, like, but it, it is very. It stands out, and it's, it's comedically
4: big.
5: It's why does this totally I have no idea. Wow, it's big, Tony. You got to see this thing. No, I've seen
3: it. I've I feel seen like it. You I've could been to say that about
2: like a lot of art in suburban towns like why does this exist i don't know someone just decided to put it there and yeah it's stepping on a dragon
3: huh.
2: it's a hundred feet tall
4: they uh they like the there's a really big horse race there in january it's called the pegasus cup and they, they i i think it's Maybe just like oh like they just wanted to give the Gulfstream park a theme and so the pegasus ancient is, roman is, is, is what they is gave them theme is,
3: is it roman or greek it's greek isn't it pegasus? roman is trojan horse pegasus is like
0: uh, yeah mythology greek mythology yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: Hmm. So they gave it a green. Oh, it's the card. world's
2: largest. Ta- l- it's the world's largest and tallest equine and European dragon statue. How about God, that?
4: that? That is so, so niche. That is unbelievably specific.
2: <laughs> it's the third tallest statue equine. in the United States after Birth of the New World in Puerto Rico and the Statue of <laughs> Liberty in New York. Wow.
5: God. So the second in the continental U.S. Yeah.
4: Hmm.
3: Hmm. yeah how well did done. I stand up? H yeah, <laughs> Town stand up.
5: Thirty million dollars
4: it just is an ostentatious no ridiculousness reason for it. no reason for it at all i could see it from the uh from my apartment balcony i'm like a mile and a half away and i could see it really yeah it's massive that's great yeah
5: yeah mm-hmm. well that was mystery Bebaba crate boba fett huh
3: that was good right sure <laughs> yeah.
2: i really hope pegasus doesn't get buried at the end of this mystery crate <laughs> People need to know.
4: Well, they what? they just but, did. They found I, out. Are yeah, you yeah, intimating, intimating that I mean, people are not on. listening to the end of Mystery Crate? <laughs>
2: this is no, but I think this like, is podcast retention featured. rates in general go down over time. Like some well, people look, won't hear it.
5: How about this? If people don't, then we can blame two people: Amin and Anthony. Mays. Anthony, Mays. that's right.
2: Anthony Fu Mays. Hmm.
5: Unless he's called Juju already, in which case that's
2: Well,
3: Juju hasn't appeared yet. So maybe he's actually on the phone with him right now.
5: Possibly.
2: Hmm. 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 Thanks for listening
0: to Mystery Crate. Okay, goodbye. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality.